Empire. Could the next wave of armed forces recruitment come from the NCAA ranks? The DOD recruits Americans between the ages of 18 and 24 years old. That population, only 23% of Americans are even eligible to serve. That's Dave Maloney, founder of Orchestra Macro, who has a mission to help our country defend itself with some of the best and brightest athletes. This is the Future Sport Podcast. I'm Bram Weinstein. This conversation will depart a little from our usual lane, but there is some interesting tech merit to what Dave Maloney is going to talk about as well. The Department of Defense will recognize what he's talking about, that recruitment to the armed services is down. And with so much happening in Division I athletics that threatens programs, Maloney seems to have a win-win scenario for not only recruiters, but athletic directors. Our guest this week is Dave Maloney. He is the founder of Orchestra Macro, which is a performance optimization company that is focusing recently on finding new recruits for the United States Armed Forces, and they're looking in the sports realm. Hi, Dave. How are you? I am fantastic. How are you doing? Okay, I gotta know the 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 name Orchestra Macro. Uh, why? What, what's what's the background on that? <laughs> um, I mean, it's not it's not too cute. It's not too deep. We we looked at microsystems, which is often used in technology, and we looked at macro systems and tried to figure out uh, how, how to how to uh, use that word to address um, you know what what we're addressing here is. is is trying, you know, trying to build software that uh, specifically supports a massive, massive customer uh, in the federal government. Ah, okay. So good. We have the background for it. Um, when we spoke off air, before we got on air, um, you had told me about initiatives that your company is looking into in the hopes of helping find the next recruits to the United States Armed Forces. Could you kind of take me through what you're working on? I can. <clears throat> so we had approached um, the Director of National Intelligence and senior Pentagon officials in October of last year. The, the DOD, I would argue, thank God, does no longer has a national security mission that reflects the way in which we fought, for example, World War II. And as a result, the kinds of people that the Department of Defense, whether it's the intelligence community or whether it's the Army or the Navy, the kinds of people that they're looking for are very much reflected in collegiate student-athletes, intrinsically motivated, physically ready, digitally savvy, coachable, as well as great, gritty leaders. And so we had um, brought to the DOD's attention something that you know well, which was the Austin decision, which our argument or statement is that it opened up for the first time in a hundred years, a complete reframing of collegiate athletics and what does collegiate sports look like over the next hundred years in America. And our guidance to secretary of defense was, well, you have, you're going to miss your recruiting goal in 2022 by the largest margin in American history. And this in fact 
is playing out. And you have no plan in place right now to improve the way in which America builds its fighting force. And we said, well, we have a solution. America still wants to play sports. And America has this desire to play collegiate sports. Well, non-revenue generating programs are very focused of either extinction or becoming club sports or just materially changing the, the way in which they've been offered to the American public since really 1972. We said, well, guess what? Why don't you assume the greatest or largest operating expense in non-revenue generating sports, which is guess what? Scholarships. So rather than uh, asking NCAA schools to shoulder the financial burden of collegiate scholarships, why don't you take them separate and distinct from ROTC? Take all of the scholarship obligations and ask those collegiate student athletes in exchange for going to, for example, Notre Dame to play softball for free do that, come out of school debt-free, and maybe go work at Tesla, and one week out of the month, two weeks out of the summer, you're a cybersecurity analyst supporting the Army Reserve. And that is the way we build an equitable, sustainable, physically ready national security apparatus, and by the way, broaden access and opportunity to higher education. Um, So this, it feels like a reverse-engineered GI Bill. Is that how you're kind of looking at it? It very much is. And if you know the history of the GI Bill, um, you, you, you know why the GI Bill, the order of operations, which is serve first, then go to then go to school. Correct. If you know the history, you know why that order of operation exists. It stems from World War II. We don't have 12 million people in Europe fighting World War II. So we don't need to, 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 to maintain that order of operations anymore. Thank God we don't live in that world. So let's reverse the order of operations to reflect the world that we currently live in. Well, I, I hope we're not living in that world. Yeah. <laughs> the geopolitics lately suggests uh, we might be heading towards that world, but I hope we're not living in that world right now. Amen. Amen. Let me ask, let me ask this then to your knowledge, why does the department of defense have a problem currently recruiting new people to join the United States armed forces? Sure. So, so, so some of it is just, your statistical standards. So here's here's part of your answer. The DOD recruits Americans between the ages of 18 and 24 years old. That population, only 23% of Americans are even eligible to serve. Think about that. Three quarters are not even eligible. So that's gone. Then of the remaining population, that can serve. They still today have optionality to, for example, go run track and field at the University of Arkansas or go do something else. And the DOD's value proposition has not adjusted to today's society. So the DOD does not do a horrific job, for example, of putting forth a value proposition which says, for example, go play baseball at Notre Dame. Notre Dame can't give you a full scholarship. We'll give you the full scholarship. Graduate from Notre Dame debt-free. And if you don't play Major League Baseball, go to law school for free. And when you're done uh, at law school and graduate with no student loan debt, we need you to be a, you know, a JAG or we need you to be an attorney in the Army for four years. And that's your payback. That's an awesome deal that they do not communicate to the American public. 
Okay. Um, when you talk to schools, ADs, conferences about this, what is their reaction to, we'd like to make this a value proposition for your future athletes? You know what they say to me? Can we start tomorrow? Huh. You're talking about taking, you know, when the NCAA, when they when a school has to account for scholarships, the NCAA requires the school to account for the full cost of the scholarship, right? So that is room board tuition, uh, cost of living expenses. So by way of example, a men's wrestling team at the division one level has 9.9 scholarships, 37 guys in the team. The baseball team has 11.7 scholarships. There's 35 guys in the team, right? The, um, from a, just a pure accounting standpoint, the largest expense is remember, you know, the wrestling coaches and making Nick Saban money. Wrestling coaches making 5% of what Nick Saban makes. So the largest expense of operating that team, for example, is the scholarships. So the schools say, well, wait a minute. You're going to take the largest operating expense off my books. And instead of offering, let's say, 9.9 scholarships that I've got to carve out across 37 guys on my wrestling team, you mean the DOD will pay for 35 full rides? When can we start? That's if 35 student athletes of that program are all willing to serve, correct? Yes, but let's go deeper on that. What actually the ADs and conference commissioners are telling us is it's not quite that simple. Instead, the question that they are facing is, for example, 30 years ago, there were 220 men's Division One wrestling teams. You know how many there are right now? 78. Yeah. And what these schools are saying to us is, based upon Alston and NIL and an otherwise broken financial model, you know what they're saying? They're saying, this is a financial decision whether to even keep these programs. So the cognitive chasm that exists right now in America is we've lived for the past 50 years with this existence that, oh, I could go wrestle at Nebraska and there's 9.9 scholarships and one of them might be available for me. The reality going forward, which is really the crux here, is the program is just not going to exist that way anymore. It's purely financial. So the question then becomes, really, it's a tough one and it's binary. And I'm not sounding a dire alarm here, but this is the reality. The question of the future is, are these club sports? Because if they're not club sports, they can only persist under a totally different financial model. In the end, though, the student athletes need to agree to this. So how is that going so far in attempting to get the student athletes to say, yes, I'm yes, I want the deal. Yes, I'm willing to serve after my collegiate career is over. They haven't operationalized it yet. It's a great question. They have, none of the military service branches have yet operationalized it. They're on the precipice. We're, we're going we're gonna to miss our DOD recruiting goals by the largest margin in American history this year while concurrently running the most expensive recruiting program in American history this year. So the situation is a major national security issue. Um, and to, you know, to your question, um, you know, we're looking at an America that's settled with $1.8 trillion of student loan debt. So one has to ask, if you go into American you know, you know, uh, kitchens where you know, kids are sitting with their parents, uh, you may be faced with the, the following scenario, which is you want to wrestle at Oklahoma State, 
do you want to play softball at San Diego State? Because if your answer is yes, your optionality is you're going to go for free. There's going to be no more partial scholarships. Yeah. And in exchange, we may need you to, to, to operate drones from a cushy office in Alexandria, Virginia for four years after school. Not a bad deal, but it's an, it's a, it requires a complete radical shift in how the military currently communicates with the American public. Yeah. Um, is there, I mean, I, there has to be a reality of potentially fighting abroad though. Correct. I mean, you know, I hear you on, it's a pretty good deal if you're going to go to a cushy office in Virginia and fly drones for whatever mission that yeah. may be, or, or be, you yeah. know, adjudicating cases in a courtroom on American soil. It's another thing mm-hmm. if we're in another Afghanistan, correct? You're, you're, you know, you're damn right. And this is what we've challenged OSD, which is if you've annuitized, if you've annuitized a funnel of arguably the greatest American talent you can possibly um, procure, how does that change strategic decisions and the associated tactical decisions? And that gets very controversial. I think that when you've got tremendous assets, like the ones we're talking about in American collegiate student athletes, scholar athletes, what kinds of decisions do we change national security decisions to be changed. I would argue that these are, in fact, we make better decisions with this kind of brain power in the room together. What is Congress saying about this? Are they on board there's with right this? Now, yeah, there's bipartisan, bicameral support. So whether you're talking, you know, for, so on both sides in the, in the Senate Armed Services Committee, both sides in the House Armed Services Committee, there's unanimous support. We've even stepped outside of Hask and Sask. You know, uh, with, um, you know, uh, Senator Marco Rubio, Senator Cory Booker, um, who are very much weighing in on just the current state of collegiate athletics, separate and distinct from national service. Because what they're really asking, and I think this is the, 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 the better, you know, sort of the, the right way to frame it is in an America currently saddled with student loan debt, in an America that's got twin epidemics of pediatric diabetes and childhood obesity. These epidemics disproportionately affect lower socioeconomic. These are really like public health issues. What what Rubio and Booker, what they are doing, I think very astutely, is they are not separating public health conversations from national security conversations. They're looking at them as one and the same and asking if we can broaden access and opportunity to higher education by completely changing sort of the financial incentive of being a scholar athlete beyond high school and into college. And in exchange for that, you provide national service. Sometimes that is infantry, and many times it is more reflective of our national warfighting style, which is dominant in cyber and space and intelligence, which has nothing to do with ground-based and naval-based operations. But we can get America to there, and that's a hell of a chasm. But I think now we're looking at this in the correct framework and that's probably a place you and i want to live that's the future where we want to live in that country all right last thing um you had mentioned nil earlier um Mm -hmm. how do you see that either disrupting this plan or potentially enhancing this plan as money can now more freely flow to and from collegiate athletes sure great question here's what we're it's less, and we're just tech nerds. Don't, 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 not to get confused. We're, we're the tech geeks that provide, 
you know, and intelligence capabilities of the DOD. And what we're talking about today is our suggestion of how the DOD operationalizes it. So now to your question about NIL. What we hear, what we hear from ADs, conference commissioners, is that NIL enhances and supports the program that we're putting forward. And the reason is that the concern, and it's a second order effect of NIL, the concern is, at the Division One level in particular, some of these athletic programs, as you may know intimately well, are seeing anywhere from a quarter to half of their revenue historically comes from donations. So now the ADs are sounding the alarm, which they're arguing is if collectives begin to redirect any material portion of that money directly to the players, well, now a school like Clemson, which has won you know, two recent FBS titles, but still relies on 50% of their revenue coming from donations. That's their P&L. So if, those, if some meaningful proportion of those, those donations, which they believe will now be directed to the players, what comes to the non-revenue generating sports? Do they even exist? And that comes to your answer. The only way they exist is if there is a third party funding source that perpetuates the existence of these programs. Mm. Remember what we're talking about here has to do with every sport outside of football and men's basketball. It's all very interesting. Dave Maloney is the founder of Orchestra Macro. Thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. On the next Future Sport Podcast, how the pros and now the college kids are cashing in in this modern era of opportunity. And so we're really studying the market and really trying to understand what do consumers want, what's exciting, what's more than just noise and hype and speculation, but what are the products that really can stand the test of time, provide utility and, and exciting experiences, unique experiences to fans. That's Henry Lowenfels, Chief Product Officer at The One Team Partners, who is surveying a vast new landscape of opportunity. That will do it for this episode. As always, the future is now. This is the Future Sport Podcast. I'm Bram Weinstein.